Welcome into episode 160 of the Sources Day podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR podcast network. The Sources Day podcast is presented by, as, as always, our good friends at Justice Dental. You can make an appointment at one of two Lexington locations. That's on Wellington Way and Blazer Parkway. And that was a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Remember that regular dental appointments are important for your overall health. You can learn more and make an appointment at justicedental.com. Dr. Justice and Dr. Thompson look forward to seeing you soon. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by the one and only Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, how the heck are you? I'm doing fantastic, Jack. Uh, hopefully nobody heard my dog jump on me right as you were doing the uh, <laughs> the intro to the podcast. I guess she's getting a little she, – she knows she's about to have to go to the kennel since we have a game tonight. <laughs> no, that's all right. We didn't hear a thing. It's all good. I had to put my dog up in the, the crate because he's been getting a little rambunctious when we were, when we were recording these. He's a, a clearly a big uh, Source to Say fan because he likes to jump on my back and get all crazy when we uh, start recording. So I made sure – we got rid of that, but this episode, Sean, is a little bit different than what we're used to doing. Uh, we, as promised, we we didn't do a preview show for uh, the Alabama game, so we wanted to make sure that we made up for that with a mailbag uh, episode that we already put out the pregame episode for Kentucky's matchup against LSU tonight. So, Sean, we decided to uh, ask for some questions on Twitter and go through all of them. Uh, you know, not going to be a long show. Uh, we want to make sure you guys are able to listen to both the pregame show and this mailbag uh, mailbag show leading up to tonight's late tip off at 9 p.m. It's going to be a, another late one. So we all want to get through it, get to that finish line together. So help you guys kind of pass some of that time with two episodes leading up to it. So, Sean, let's jump right into some of these questions. We got a bunch of very, very good ones. Um, one of the, one of the ones that stood out to me earlier, uh, Lance Cornigan asks what teams would worry you most to play in the tournament, Sean, I know that you've been uh, all in on this college basketball season, watching some of these other high profile games, who has scared you a little bit that makes you uh, a little uneasy if you saw them, uh, in Kentucky's bracket in March. You know, I said on the last podcast after they beat Alabama that Kentucky should really fear no one in college basketball. But I, but I think when you're you're talking about those teams that would present some matchup issues, Gonzaga's got to be near the top with, with Chet Holmgren and, and Drew Timmy. I mean, we know that that four position has has been a nightmare spot for Kentucky to match up with in some games. We saw what Jabari Smith did. We saw what Paolo Bancaro did. Any team that has a guy at that four spot that that is good and, and elite. I think that presents a problem. I know Purdue has some size too, and we know that Oscar struggles struggles with length. Uh, I would I would throw Purdue in there. Um, I don't I don't really know about Arizona yet, Jack. I've watched them quite a bit, and and I've seen I've seen them struggle at times, and then they've impressed me at times. Obviously, their record's good. They're on a roll right now, projected to be a one seed. I'd like to watch a little bit more of them. Uh, because we do know that one of these teams that I've thrown out there, if Kentucky goes far enough, they're going to face a Gonzaga. They're going to face a Purdue, a Duke, or an Arizona. There, there's going to be someone out there. But I would say those teams for sure that have a really, really lethal four-man, I think that puts a ton of pressure on Kentucky at that spot to uh, to defend it. Yeah, I, I have been a little worried with length. Anybody with, you know, a seven-foot one, seven-footer, uh, you know, one of those type guys that's, that's kind of concerned me going into – postseason play because we saw how bad uh or I guess not bad but but 
Oscar Sheway has clearly struggled against those type of players, but I will say the way he performed against Charles Bidiaco in this last matchup against Alabama after struggling so much in that first matchup, I think definitely makes me feel a whole heck of a lot better. But yeah, I agree with your first statement. There's not a single team out there that makes me go, uh-oh. Like, you, you remember back in that 2015 run where you knew that if they found a, a matchup where it was an athletic wing, somebody kind of like Sam Decker with Wisconsin, that that would be kind of the uh, biggest threat to Kentucky's chances to, to hurting, to, to ending their undefeated season. And it just so happened that's how it unfolded in the final four. Um, there's obviously some of that concern with the four position. And, and I completely agree. That's uh, a position that has given Kentucky its biggest fits, but the way Oscar Sheway responded against Betty Ako and just exploded 21 points, 14 rebounds makes me think that uh, I'm not as concerned about Kentucky being matched up against some, some big length, a, a team that I'm kind of sneakily hoping for uh, in the postseason play is actually Illinois, just because I would love to see the, the one-on-one matchup between Kofi Coburn and Oscar Sheboy after all of that talk all off season long about uh, either or situation with Kentucky. Kentucky. Could they play together? Uh, who does Kentucky want more? Why are they turning down Kofi Coburn? All those questions. I think that would kind of be a, a sneaky, fun uh, matchup for Kentucky. But yeah, I agree. I agree with you, Sean. Not a not a team that worries me a whole whole lot going into it. Outside of the you know the Gonzagas and the Dukes and the Arizonas and Purdue's of the world. Yes. I think those are uh, kind of everybody's biggest worries. But great question. But there by Lance. Let's keep going down the list. Brian Cunningham says. What is the possibility of Ty Ty and Wheeler missing Saturday at Arkansas? And if so, how does that impact tournament seeding? Seems like it would hurt more to play them and risk losing than to rest them just and just to get healthy. What are your thoughts on that? I'm just I'm going to predict that one of them goes on Saturday. I, I would say, given the situation and what we know, we've we've not really heard a whole lot on Savier. Right? He just had that brace on his on his wrist the other day. And uh, we know he heard it against Tennessee. I would I would lean more towards Savir playing before Tata plays, just given Tata already had the injured ankle against Auburn. Comes back, he has the lower leg injury against Florida. They they kind of he rushed his way back and then had the setback in Knoxville. He feels like the one that if if he's going to miss any more, it would be him that's that's held out. But I'm going to say at least one of them gives it a go on Saturday, and I would lean Savir if it's one of the two. And that's not to say, I mean, there's been nothing to confirm that either of them won't play tonight again. Uh, that's again true. At LSU. So that, that's just kind of something we've all been uh, operating under the assumption with. And, and well, that's, that's and the thing that Cal's been doing this year, he's been keeping opposing coaches in the dark, mm-hmm. you know, because it changes the way that you prepare for Kentucky. If one of those guys are out or if both of them's out, it just changes the way you have to prepare. And, you know, LSU has prepared for both of them. They, they, you have to. You can't just go into it thinking, oh, they're going to be out because you, you just never know. So, uh, yeah, that, that's a good point that we have no idea if one of them or both of them are out tonight. Well, I remember last week, uh, almost to the day, to the minute, while we were recording our pregame episode for Tennessee, we kind of just were operating under the assumption that Ty Ty and, and Jacob Topham would both be out at Tennessee. And then they both fight through. And I know the circumstances are different now. Cal's tune has changed quite a bit following then where he basically said, all I care about is making sure our kids are back to 100%, you know, back to full strength. Uh, all we care about is making sure they're health, they're healthy for March Madness. So I don't think that we're going to see either of them fight through and, and push through. But I, I just don't know how close Savir Wheeler was at, uh, against 
Alabama on Saturday either. I think that was kind of a, you know, how bad is his wrist? He, you know, we, we knew he, he was clearly uncomfortable at Tennessee late in the game, and we didn't really hear anything until then. That's kind of why we were assuming that we would probably see um, at least one of them uh, against Alabama, and then Savir gets declared out alongside Ty Ty Washington. So maybe he was 80, 85% leading up to that game, and Cal wanted to make sure uh, he rested one more game before LSU, wanted to get at least one of them back tonight. So that that I haven't heard anything. Uh, they, they're starting to keep everybody out of the dark as this the season has progressed, the regular season's coming to a close, postseason play is coming up. I, I think they're definitely wanting to keep things as, as hush-hush as possible. It, unless it's coming straight from a parent or a relative or something like that, you're not seeing many leaks, at least leading up to you know the, the final couple hours leading up to it, you start seeing some link, leaks, but not in the day or two leading up to it so um your guess is as good as mine on if either of them will play tonight but i think i agree i think we'll at least see one of them at arkansas that's that's a major game that kentucky probably the biggest game to close out the rest of the regular season for sure so I, i'm expecting at least one there as well uh, let's keep rolling through chase peterson asks how long do you think the current assistants stick around between J, chin and O? uh sean I think that we see all three of them for at least another couple years. Uh, I, I I think they have a really great dynamic. I think this offseason will be a lot uh, pretty telling because this is the full, um, I guess, the first full recruiting period with no restrictions. We're going to get an actual uh, live period where I think there's they just announced the EYBL schedule. So we're going to get four different live periods, I believe, where the coaches are going to be traveling ac- across the country with – uh, you know, no COVID restrictions and all that stuff. So uh, I think this is going to be a telling offseason to see just how powerful they are on the recruiting trail. And uh, um, I think in, in-house, I think things are as as great as they could possibly be. I know there's some talk about Chin and Cal kind of uh, getting into each other onto the bench, on the bench and all that stuff. But I have no issues whatsoever with those two. I think they have a great relationship. There's a lot of accountability on this staff. Uh, Sean, I think the one name to keep an eye on is Jay Lucas, because I think he's seen as one of the most respected uh, up and coming coaches in basketball. And I wouldn't be shocked uh, if a kind of mid-major, low, high major type school reaches out to him in in the next couple of years and says, hey, I want to I want to take a chance on you as our head coach. That's the name I would keep an eye on, you know, and maybe O wants to get back in the head coaching ranks. I, I, I know he's very happy with where he is and he kind of, you know, he's moved his whole family back in in, in Lexington and he's happy where he is. So there, I, I guess the best way to put it is uh, Chase's question. I don't think there's any rush for any of the three to leave. If one of them happens to leave, I think it'll it, it'll be because uh, somebody takes a chance on him as a head coach, Sean. Yeah, I don't I don't think anybody's leaving to be an assistant anywhere else. Uh, I think that those three are. are are locked in and dialed in at UK. And then Jay feels like the guy that you kind of circle to think here, maybe let's say three or four years, he just continues to climb that trajectory ladder and uh, ends up with a head coaching job at some point. We know that he has a lot of ties in the collegiate game and, and uh, across basketball. So that would be a guy to watch. And then I'm, I'm of the belief that I think coach O wants to stick with Cal for a bit and then maybe, Five six years from now, does he does he take a shot on another head coaching job? I think uh, any coach would want to, especially if you didn't have that that success that you wanted to your first go around. But I think that this group is in place for a few years, and and that's a good thing because uh, this is a really strong group right now. 
with it be on recruiting or on the court. This is a really, really good collection of coaches. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Chris Adams asks, uh, what is the toughest matchup Kentucky could face in the SEC tournament given the short turnarounds? Sean, obviously the top of the uh, the, the top of the list is Auburn and Tennessee and Arkansas. Those are kind of the, the top three schools that um, people are keeping a close eye on. I guess out of that group, who are you most worried about to, to face? And uh, who, I guess, uh, take this question a different way, uh, is who is a sneaky team uh, kind of in the middle, middle of the pack, even toward the bottom of the SEC that you think could give Kentucky fits on you know Friday night or beyond? I don't want to play Vandy. I do not want to play Vanderbilt. And you know why? Because every because every time that they play, they seem to keep it close with Kentucky. Like, and I know the game in Nashville this year, like they they made a run. Kentucky made a huge run, but the one in Lexington was just an ugly game. Uh, how many times have we seen that since Jerry Stackhouse has been in Nashville that it's just been an ugly game that Kentucky finds a way in the late in the second half to kind of push it out to eight to ten and, and win a game. Uh, I, I would say them because I've watched them play a few times. I, I don't think that Stackhouse is far off from having a, a solid team there. I mean, they're I believe they've won six games in the league this year. Uh, they're right there, 77-78 in the net. I thought they had a chance to beat Alabama last night at home and then uh, kind of struggled there in the second half but then made a push at, at the end. But when it comes to teams that you don't want to play like on a, on a quick turnaround or something, I, I think you have to go with teams that maybe have a lot more depth or something, especially if you're getting into day three of, of a tournament. But at the top of the league, I think Rick Barnes has always been a thorn in Cal's side ever since he's been in Knoxville. That just seems like a head-to-head coaching matchup that, that Cal has a hard time with. And, I mean, Cal's won his, but Rick's won. I mean, is, has there been anyone in the last few years that has had more success in the SEC against Cal than Rick Barnes has at Tennessee? Nobody. I, I even – uh, put up a stupid tweet last year in the middle of that depressing season. Uh, I said that uh, the I think the exact tweet was something like Rick Barnes is to uh, Rick Barnes owns John Calipari in the same way John Calipari owned Rick Pitino or something like that. And I remember I got freaking blasted for it. Uh, and and in hindsight, it was a stupid tweet to make in the heat of the moment. But I was pissed off at that loss and thought just you know that was just an emotional. Emotional time for me, but it there there is a little bit of truth to it, just in terms of actual numbers and rankings and, and what what the resume speaks for itself. Uh, if there is one coach that has had Cal's number over the years, it is absolutely unequivocally Rick Barnes. Well, he's he's always competitive. I remember his first Tennessee teams there; they really had no business competing with the, the some of those Kentucky teams, like when Schofield and those guys were freshmen. Uh, they had no business beating Kentucky the year that Fox and Bam were there, the year that Ulyss and Murray were in that backcourt. But Barnes always finds a way to have success. Uh, I would pick Kentucky to win that game if they played it again, just because I think Kentucky would this time be the team playing with the chip on its shoulder, having something to prove. When it comes to the other teams that you wouldn't want to see, I think anytime you get into tournament format, you don't want to see desperate teams. like Because uh, Florida right now, Florida lost the game last night at Arkansas. That would have probably put them in the tournament. And now Florida has probably circled Kentucky for that last game of the regular season, thinking, okay, we have to win that one if we want to get to March. Or if you see a Florida on that Friday round of the SEC tournament, those desperate teams that are playing their way into postseason, 
I think that 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 kind of is dangerous. But then again, I kind of think it gets you focused and ready because you know you have to bring it in that moment. And maybe though you're playing for something greater than just an SEC tournament championship, you're playing for seeding in the NCAA tournament. Some of these teams are playing just to get into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, yeah, it's a. Uh... Very interesting. Okay, keep let's keep rolling through. Um, Garrett Hollenbach asks two questions that I, I think we need to answer both of them. Let's start with this one. Uh, we've kind of touched on it the last couple episodes, but uh, some news came out today that that maybe changed things. Or uh, I want to get your thoughts on it. He asks, "NIL makes everything different. What are the chances we see Savir and or Oscar back next season?" Um, Today, uh, Jonathan Gavoni puts out on his ESPN latest mock draft says that uh, Oscar's now the, the number 43rd projected pick in, in the in the draft, which is early second round, just 13 picks off of that that first round line, which is undoubtedly the highest we've seen him uh, anywhere in, in those rankings. And I will uh, admit I talked to uh, Gavoni at the Hoopal Classic uh, just a month ago. And back then he said that there was no NBA buzz whatsoever for Oscar said that if he was going to go pro that he was going to need to go overseas and said that he just had no idea how he would be projected as an NBA player said uh, you you might as well just uh, assume that if he goes pro he's going to be you know either taking the G League route or going overseas so his tune has clearly changed over the last month because the last time I talked to him he couldn't have been lower on Oscar as an NBA player Uh, so I do think it is quite telling that he is now put him at number 43 higher than anybody else out there so uh, the tune has changed with oscar as an nba prospect so sean does that change your mind at all well Uh, but what what has oscar done different in the last two to three weeks that he didn't do in november december and january i i guess the only counter argument is against tougher sec competition but my i'm i I was the one that fighting for it a month ago uh a month ago i said that it was he's playing the same way now as he was to start the year elite yeah and that's exactly what i'm saying like i don't know what has taken so many people so long to really think i mean i'm not saying he should be a lottery pick i think that oscar has a lot to work on in his game when how it translates to the nba but when you're talking about his work ethic, the way he rebounds the basketball, uh, the character that he is as a person, he should absolutely be showing up on everybody's second round projections, in my opinion. Like, I don't I don't know if he's ready to climb into first round, late lottery, things like that. I just think that he needs to continue working on his post game. He needs to expand that range. All these things Orlando Antigua talked about uh, with us yesterday, especially uh, with, with his post moves, being more aggressive with them and going quicker and and things like that. He's got a lot to develop. The NIL stuff, in my opinion, changes the whole game. And I, I right now would predict that Oscar would be back on next year's Kentucky team, just knowing the situation that I think he would make a lot more money playing at Kentucky than he would playing professionally next year. And I just think that there's so much to add to his game that it, it would make it worthwhile for Oscar. And Oscar kind of seems like the type of kid that he wants to be at Kentucky, honestly. Yeah, the numbers I've heard thrown around are just absolutely unbelievable. I know that we we talked about on this last episode uh, the multi million dollar deal that uh, uh, Oscar's agent told Kyle Tucker, and I know that's out there, but I, I've heard numbers as high as like five to seven million dollars out there. I mean, just some of the stuff I've heard is is unbelievable money for a dude that 
would be making hundreds of thousands of dollars as a second round pick. So he can climb as high as, as he wants. And I, I hope he deserves it. I mean, this kid has clearly shown that he's right there in the thick of things uh, among the, the, you know, this draft class, cause it's a weak draft class in itself. So uh, I don't know how you can look at some of these other guys and think that they're clearly miles ahead of Oscar Sheboy. I think Oscar's done more than enough to, to prove his case as a, at least fringe first round pick. You know, maybe if he slides in, I mean, shoot, Daniel Orton, Sean was a first round pick. So let's not get crazy thinking that it, it's uh, that, that being a late first round pick means something extraordinarily different than being a, a uh, an early second round or a mid second round pick. I, I think uh, Oscar is, is absolutely deserving of any of, especially where Jonathan Cavoni has him now 43 overall. I think that's a very safe uh, number right now, but I don't think it, it changes anything in terms of his, his NIL money and what it could do in terms of bringing him back to Kentucky for a senior year. I think if, if he stays or right around, unless he explodes into being a lottery pick, which he's not, I, I think that we can firmly say that he's going to be making infinitely more money uh, coming back to Kentucky next year than he would going pro. And as we said on the last show, at that point, it comes down to a basketball decision. If he's ready to go pro because he's ready to go pro for the sake of it, then then by all means, we'll support him. But it won't be a money decision. And that's definitely something that plays in um, in Kentucky's favor, which is uh, just phenomenal for the idea of thinking that. So I, I, I agree with you. I think that we see both Savir Wheeler. I, I've said that multiple times now that uh, Savir is is raking in the NIL money, and I'm expecting him to come back next year. I'd put that at like 80%, 75% likely uh, that he decides to come back. And Oscar, I think right in that same, uh, you know, maybe 65%, 70%, but I still think both are, are more likely than not coming back, Sean. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. NIL has changed the game, especially at a place like Kentucky. Those kids that they want to earn a lot of cash. They don't feel like they have to make a move in their career at this time. They can earn it at UK. They're so marketable in Lexington and in this state that even your guys that are that are never going to be NBA All-Stars, they can kind of change their life with some money the next year or two and then go play professionally wherever it works out for them. But they, they've got a good start at Kentucky and in a place where they – the, those that position and that roster it sells itself. Like this fan base is so passionate with with t-shirts. I mean, look at Davion Mintz right now and and the love that he gets. And I see people wearing Davion Mintz t-shirts and stuff to games now and, and everything. Like that that's a guy that you know transferred in from Creighton a couple of years ago and now is just one of the most likable dudes on this roster. That that's the Kentucky effect of this. If you do it right, it it definitely gives back. And I'm glad to see that it's that the program is giving back to. Uh, to these guys now and the, and the fans are as well. Yeah. And it could create an absolute super team for Kentucky next year. The idea of having Xavier Wheeler and Oscar Sheboy uh, kind of anchoring the backcourt and the front court. I mean, just, uh, just, cre- just raises the ceiling uh, and just, I guess the floor as well, the floor almost, especially uh, because you know exactly what you're going to get out of arguably the two most valuable positions on the floor, uh, point guard and center. So those two together, I think, is is a phenomenal uh, foundation to, to come back next season. It's definitely one that I would keep a very, very close eye on. Uh, we said, and I, I just checked, 
this Garrett, Garrett Hollenbeck asked like six different questions. So we're not going to be able to hit all of them. Uh, I know we're kind of crunched on time, Sean, but uh, he did ask, I'm not finished talking about Shaden. People close to Kentucky seem to think Shaden is returning while NBA experts think he's gone after this season. If you had to make an educated guess right now, is Shaden returning or gone? I think he laid that out uh, exactly the way it actually is unfolding because the people close to Kentucky absolutely think he's uh, coming back to Kentucky next season. Um, I've talked to people close to the recruits. I've talked to parents. I've talked to people across the board. Everybody associated with the program is sold that that Shaden Sharp will ultimately return. You talk to uh, NBA people. You talk to other recruiting analysts. You talk to uh, other you know just people in ba- the you know basketball circles. Uh, all around think you guys are being ridiculous. There's no way a top five, top six pick is going to come back to school. Uh, you guys are crazy. So I got to think that the people close to Shaden Sharp and uh, people close to Kentucky, John Calipari, Orlando Antigua, uh, it, all of those guys are in communication more than the uh, NBA and kind of the basketball circle people. Uh, so it makes me think that that Kentucky has been told something that – uh, clearly leads them to believe that Shaden's coming back. And, and I guess that's the only thing that I can go off of right now. I understand how crazy it sounds, but every quote that I've heard and, and every t- conversation I've had with Shaden's camp, uh, they've all said the same thing. And Kentucky's now saying the same thing. So at, at this point, if we're wrong, we're wrong. If, you know, if Kentucky gets got, then it happens. But I, I don't think that it, it'd be naive to, completely go against the grain because of how adamant they've been uh, over the last month or two dealing with all this stuff. So Sean, I, I'm maybe I'm crazy, but uh, as of right now, I, I guess it, I'm thinking like 55, 45 coming back to, to Kentucky next year for Shaden Sharp. Yeah, I, I would lean that he's coming back as well. Just given that that's what the, the family and those closest to him have, have been saying all along you kind of just <clears throat> got to take them at their word, right? And just assume that he's returning. I, I think they're – with NIL and everything, there's a lot of money on the table. We're talking about Oscar, but can you imagine the amount of money that's on the table for Shaden Sharp at Kentucky as well? And, and then going and to the draft the year after like that, that's a guy that could make a lot of money at UK in addition to all these other guys we're talking about. And, yeah. and then how about this too? We have a question here. You know, Alan asked it's, – it's a recruiting question, but he says predictions as of today, who returns for next season in addition to the returning players and incoming freshmen? What positions do you feel will be addressed via the portal, if any? And he puts if any at the end of that. If you get Oscar back, you get Wheeler back, let's just say one of Toppin or Keon. I don't know, maybe both. I, I really don't know there, but you feel confident that for sure one of them is back and then you you get some more pieces like a Damian Collins you get these guys coming in CJ Frederick coming back you could get to a situation Jack where the not the Kentucky plays its last game of the season you could know what its roster is the day after like I don't know that do they hit the portal if a lot of these guys comes back they might not need to I I completely agree it's a great question by Alan Baldwin I, I completely agree I think that uh, those are the two the way I would do it is you go position by position, piece by piece, and the value that each of them bring. If, if say, Keon Brooks hits the portal, he's a guy that's clearly one of the most valuable players on the team, but you already have Jacob Toppin likely coming back if that's the case. He's already used his one-year uh, instant transfer uh, waiver, so he's not going to go anywhere unless he decides to go pro, and I don't think his, his draft – 
uh, prospects or anything high enough for that. I, I think he is perfectly uh, designed to come back next season with NIL and all that stuff. I think he's a clear uh, returning guy. So there's not a, a clear need to return to, to go hit the portal to replace Keon when you know you have Jacob Toppin already coming back. And you have Chris Livingston, who's a guy that I'm high on. He's a college-ready type guy. He would probably fit in well in that Jacob Toppin role. So it would basically be Toppin sliding into Keon's usage and, and starting role at the four, and then Chris Livingston sliding in as that backup uh, four option behind Toppin. So then there's not really a, a high draw for, for that. And then you still have guys, like you said, Damian Collins, you have guys like Lance Ware, you have, uh, uh, you know, these other pieces in the front court that you can work with that there's really not a need for the portal at all. And, and I think that's the the two biggest pieces. If Xavier Wheeler decides to go pro or do what, you know, whatever, then you got to go get a point guard. Obviously, if Oscar Shibley decides to go to the draft, then you got to find uh, the, the best you know, transfer portal option at center, just like you did last last year. So those are the the two biggest uh, pieces. Kellen Grady is going to leave. You'd like to have a shooter, but you also have CJ Frederick coming back. And if if uh, I think the only clear cut guy, if Shaden Sharp goes pro, I think that means you got to find uh, the next Kellen Grady in the portal. You got to find the next guy capable of dropping 15, 17, 20 points a game. Uh, to fill that scoring void. And I think that might be the only piece you add, Sean. That's the only position I'd be even worried about. Yeah. Yeah, that's I agree with you 100%. And it'll – I think you'll have an idea when the NCAA tournament's going along about who's going to come back, who's not going to come back. And obviously NIL, to me, it makes John Calipari's life easier because you can kind of get an idea of who who's going to be returning, who's not going to be returning. I think Frederick's a guy that – kind of gets forgotten about just because of the injury this year. I uh, would love to have seen him on this team. Can you imagine him alongside uh, Kellen Grady out there on the perimeter with Tata Washington running the point and the spacing that that would have added? <laughs> it wouldn't put such a strain on Kentucky with these injuries right now either. But that's a guy that if, if he can stay healthy and get healthy, he's going to have a big impact for a year or two in Lexington. And, and that's a guy that's forgotten about on next year's roster that I think is going to help a ton. Uh, you you add that and a couple of these guys come back and you've got some developmental guys there that are freshmen, especially Damian Collins, that I think is going to be very, very good as he progresses and gets stronger. There's a lot to already like about what Kentucky looks like next year. And, uh, man, Cal, you're seeing – Cal's just about completely gray now. He's still holding on to some <laughs> of his dark hair, but – it wouldn't shock me if Cal starts to look younger, honestly, if this is the way it starts to go the next few years. I come, yeah, that that's might be the best point you've made this entire show, Sean, is is that life is gonna be so much easier for him with NIL and and transfer portal. I, I heard a quote a couple weeks back that Cal basically uh, fought pretty hard against, you know, the, the one-time transfer rule and, and, you know, the, the transfer portal idea that th this was kind of going to be the future of college basketball. He fought against it because he knew that it would, uh, you know, it would hurt some of the little guys in, in college basketball. And, and, you know, that's something he's fought hard for, but he said the exact quote I heard was, if you're going to do this, I hope you're ready for what, what's going to happen with Kentucky. And I mean, one year, that's all it's taken. I mean, the, the group that he's already added in the portal already uh, is, has already just been a game changer. And uh, when you're able to do that, then you don't have to lean on refreshment as much. And, you, you know, you're, you're able to bring in guys like Sky Clark and Chris Livingston and Casey Wallace, ease them in. You don't have to lean on them too, too much 
uh, to you know make an instant impact. You're already going to have com- some continuity with guys like Jacob Toppin. Uh, you, you know, you get some continuity with C.J. Frederick because he's coming back. Shoot, if Oscar Sheboy and, and Xavier Wheeler come back, obviously there's continuity there. I, I mean, it's it makes John Calipari's life infinitely easier. And uh, I mean, that's that's how you kind of create a dynasty. Honestly, is you you get the uh, you know, the high-end players that are already college-ready, they're already stars at this level that aren't good enough to go to the NBA but are still capable of helping you win a title at the at the collegiate level. That's the recipe for success. If you can get them for two, three years, that's how you develop into, you know, a consistent powerhouse where you could win maybe a couple of titles in a row or one every other year or however. That, that, that's, that, that's the recipe for success. And I, uh, I hope the rest of the college basketball world is ready for that because I think that's where we are trending here in Lexington. My buddy, my buddy Nick Frank asks, uh, this team has been one of the best two or three teams most of the season. For this team to separate themselves from everyone else, they need to blank, Sean. Get healthy. That's as simple as that. Get healthy. Because I think at full strength, I think that this team is – exactly who John Calipari thinks it is. And it's one of the four or five best teams in the country. Uh, and I think that that's the biggest thing. I don't really think that there's anything on the court that they need to just significantly get better at to win a national championship. I, I think that they know who their top seven guys are. I think you know that Lance Ware is capable of playing some extended minutes in a pinch if Oscar Sheboy needs uh, something due to foul trouble or, or an injury or something like that. But get healthy is where it starts with this group. That That's what they need to do is just get healthy and stay healthy before the NCAA tournament starts. Yeah, I think that's as simple as it needs to be. If you're looking for a you know more specific answer, I think I'd probably go continued success out of that four position. That's kind of been the game changer. It, when that position has played elite basketball, that – has kind of been the difference maker uh, in in this team looking the, the difference between this team looking great and special. So if you're looking for uh, you know how they can be the number one team in college basketball, I guess that's that is the answer. Is you already know what you're going to get out of one through three. You know what you're going to get out of that five position. If that four position is playing elite basketball, I, I don't think there's a team in college basketball that can beat this team. So uh, that's th- that, if you can get Keon Brooks and, and Jacob Toppin rolling, I think that's clearly. Um, the difference maker in, in uh, this team being uh, great and special. We're going down the home stretch, just a, a couple more. Um, David Wood, Wood asked, do you see the overtime elite kids competing in college basketball next year? And if so, uh, does Cal try to get some of those kids to uh, for next year's team? The second question, no. I don't think that that's going to be an avenue that uh, Kentucky looks at. I'm really not high on the overtime elite kids anyway. I'm not a fan of that program. I, I think uh, the way Cal's doing it right now with either the best of the best in high school basketball or the best of the best in the transfer portal. I think that is a, a, an undefeated method. I don't think there's any uh, reason to risk that by going kind of going for an unknown there. Uh, as for do I see them playing uh, in college basketball next year? That's the talk. That's kind of what the NCAA is considering. Uh, and I think they're trying to figure out a way to make sure that those programs stay competitive. The G League Ignite, I know they just showed, uh, um, allowed some of those G League Ignite kids to participate in the Rising Stars Challenge, which unfortunately made Jaden Hardy look even worse. 
Uh, he's a guy that Kentucky fans desperately wanted. I wanted him bad for this this team. I was extremely high on him. I still am long term, but uh, his journey in the in the G League has been an absolute nightmare. And I think he is the uh, epitome of why going that route is a mistake. Uh, because if if you don't thrive, if you're not a clear cut top option, a Jalen Green where you could do anything and you'd still look like a superstar. Uh, I think that if you're anything short of that, then you're, a, you're you just fail miserably in that type of setting because you're just there's not a whole lot of eyes on you. Jaden Hardy's averaging like 18 points a game and he, he's inefficient, but he's still putting up okay numbers and he's dropped off the face of the earth. He's now the, this latest mock draft. He's dropped to like 24 and he was seen as a guaranteed top five pick. So. I think that Cal's not going to risk it with those type of guys, even if they're eligible. I, I, they may be uh, eligible to participate in the college basketball level, but I, I just don't think that that's an avenue that Cal wants to go uh, go with. Uh, Garrett Hollenbach again asked, somewhat Kentucky-related since UK and Duke seem to be the favorites. Does Brody James end up going on a college campus, or is he headed straight to the professional route? I heard recently that he's going to college. So that's something to keep a close eye on. I know that everybody wants that tight relationship with LeBron in terms of branding and uh, that Nike relationship and all that stuff. So um, I definitely think he goes to a, a college. And um, I I don't – I think if I had to guess, I think he's going to be going to a – uh, a blue blood type program. And uh, if that's the case, I think it'll be maybe a Kentucky versus Duke battle, or if not, maybe he goes to uh, Ohio state or something like that. There are a couple other options like that out there for him, but it won't be for the player because I think Bronny James is a top 50 ish type player. He's not a, a superstar in the making or anything, Sean, but um, I think he's an okay player. I think he's a firm four star type dude that he's very fundamentally sound can do a lot of good things, but um I think that he'll be a one and done. He'll go uh, to college for a year and and go undrafted probably or a second round pick. Or I know the latest talk was that uh, LeBron said he's going to go to whatever team Bronny goes. So maybe he's the number one pick because the uh, whoever wants uh, LeBron is going to take his son. So maybe that changes the whole trajectory. Of the certainly, certainly helps him getting drafted, right? When, <laughs> when his dad says that he's going to go play with him. So yeah, that I would I would say that somebody takes a chance on Bronny, but Bronny's uh, not as high up the charts as what you probably would have thought he would be four or five years ago, but he's still, I think, a solid player. Yeah. Um, Let's kind of go the uh, home stretch. I looked at the other uh, segment that we, the, I I reposted some of the questions. So we have a couple more on the other. Um, Ryan Burnett asked if Wheeler returns, do we have the pieces around him for next year so we can have a uh, he can have a chance to be successful? Absolutely. I think that if Shaden Sharp comes back, there's a clear uh, three-level scoring threat. I love CJ Frederick next to yep. him. I think that there's gonna that if Shaden leaves, they're gonna find the next best shooter slash scorer, uh, you know, the next Kellen Grady in the portal. So they're gonna do whatever <laughs> you, it takes. You gotta you gotta have shooting to go alongside Sabir. Absolutely. Is what you got to have, and if you and if you got more than one, it works. If you only have one, eh, then you get kind of hard. But you've got to have spacing, and and obviously Frederick spaces it, and then they'll have someone else there. But Shaden being that three level guy, absolutely, I agree with you 100. percent I think it makes a lot of sense for Sabir to be on the team next year. Yeah, the last question we'll go with. There are a couple of them that ask kind of a similar thing. Go be blue to 2455. Uh, what's the most likely scenario for next season replacing Sharp with another cr- recruit or adding another wing portal player? Keep your head up. D. Parkerson says, what's, what is your realistic expectation for returning players next year? And then Casey 
uh, ask what's what's the probability of returning Oscar Brooks, Toppin, and Wheeler next year? Uh, that group uh, with the incoming freshmen would be fire. Uh, more well said, I guess. What's the number of players at this moment you think UK returns next season? So I guess the final question we'll go with is just next year's roster. What do you think happens with it? Uh, name if you had to name your your returnees as things stand today, Sean. Uh, what would they be? Um, and we'll we'll call it a show from there. I'm going to say Sabir Wheeler returns because I think there is just a clear path to a lot of minutes again next year as Kentucky's point guard. And then having a senior point guard who has led the SEC in assists in multiple seasons, I think that would say big deal. I think that's a huge selling point for Cal. I'm going to say the NIL presence makes Oscar return to UK. I think Oscar's going to see how much money he can make, and then I think he's going to go into this offseason going, man, how much money can I make to change my family's life? and all these other things in one full season in Lexington. With Keon and Toppin, I'm confident that one of them comes back. I don't know about both because you already have Chris Livingston coming in there. Uh, you know, what happens with Bryce Hopkins? I mean, that seems like a kind of a, a log jam there. I, I'm hoping that maybe Keon can ends this season on a strong note and finds himself in a position where if he wants to go be a professional basketball player, he'll have that opportunity. I, I think Jacob Toppin – is for sure coming back in my gut. I think Lance Ware is back. I think Damian Collins is back. CJ Frederick, obviously. That that's a lot of dudes that I just said coming back. That's what six nine, six names at least that I just said. Yep. Yeah, so I think it's going to be a numbers game. I, I agree with you on the one coming back between Toppin and, and Keon. I, I don't know. I just got the sense last offseason that this would kind of be a one last hurrah for uh, Keon Brooks before he tries to you know take that next step. My well, gut, is, my, my gut, my gut is that he'd try to explore the professional route. Um, but you know, you never know. Maybe he hits you the don't. portal. Yeah, you never know. And, and and nil too. You never know. Like what kind of opportunities he gets. Let's say that they go on a national championship run here, then you become even more marketable in the state of Kentucky if you go on a deep run. And I think that maybe that changes it. I've always been of the belief that that Keon now at this point in his career. I think he is who he is. You're seeing him emerge and do some things. He's become a mid-range sniper there for UK this year. Um, I feel like as a professional basketball player, whether he goes this year or next year, he kind of is what he is. It's just an entirely decision up to what he wants to do after this year now. Yeah, I think he'll he'll have his choice if he wants to hit the portal and go to, you know, go back home for a year to Indiana to round out his college career where he would clearly be uh, their number one option and he'd be able to put up as many points and shots as he'd want to gain. You know, that's that's a, a, an appeal and that's nothing against Keon. And, and I, I hope he doesn't. I'd love to see him back at Kentucky next year. I'd run. I want this whole team to run, run itself back. This has been the most enjoyable uh, Kentucky basketball season I've had since that 2016, 17 year up there. Top three, at least in, in Kentucky, in the Calipari era, in terms of just enjoyable regular season, for sure. I, well, I just love this team. And, uh, you know, I hope they, I, I hope they they all decide to run it back. But just thinking what we see every year, there's always attrition. There's always a surprise or two that it's it's this is Kentucky basketball we're talking about. We're not forcing anybody out, but we're just thinking realistically of things that we've seen year after year that just make sense uh, just based on what we've seen in the past versus, you know, what we could see with this team. I think it's the only fair way to look at it. It is, and there will always be transfers in. There will always be transfers out at Kentucky. That's that's just the 
the way it works in Lexington. But here, here's what I'll say. And, and let's just say that there's a surprise guy that we just now said that we think will come back, but gets hot down the stretch run and decides to, that they'll, they want to go be a professional. Well, here's the thing. What Kentucky fan was talking about Kellen Grady when they lost in the SEC tournament last year? What Kentucky fan was talking about Xavier Wheeler and, and all these pieces that they added that whoever, if somebody surprises and leaves, there will be somebody that comes in and, and fills it. The only one that you can't match is you cannot match Shaden Sharp. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to talent, you're not going to find a Shaden Sharp out there, a three-level scorer that has the upside and per and like NBA potential that he has. You can go get a really, really good scorer from the collegiate game that can shoot it, but you're not finding a guy that can do it the way Shaden Sharp does. That's the one guy that I think that uh, up in the air that you just cannot go get in the portal. Yeah, that'd really be the only uh, the only option that you could have is uh, you know kind of a, an attack by committee type deal where you have uh, you know CJ Frederick there for shooting and maybe Jacob Toppin st- takes a step up for you know in terms of scoring or or whatever. But there's there's just not a player out there that you're going to be able to replace Shaden Sharp with. So it, that that'd be the only way to attack it is getting essentially the best shooter slash scorer, the next Kellen Grady in the portal, uh, and then hoping that CJ Frederick and and Jacob Toppin kind of provide that. Uh, counter in terms of of overall scoring, but yeah, Sean, that's uh that's the only uh, uh, can't miss guy on, on this team that it, it'd be really really tough to replace. Every everybody else, uh, I think, is kind of interchangeable, and and shoot, you won't even have to interchange anybody if you have Savi Wheeler and, and Oscar Sheway come back because they are as valuable as they are at their position. But um, awesome show, Sean. I, I really enjoyed this one. I like uh, answering questions from the fan uh, fans. I hope we can continue to do this more regularly, maybe a once a week type deal, uh, regular updates. I think that'd be a fun way to do it, but Sean, let's, uh, get the heck out of here with one final message from our friends at prize picks. The NBA season is well underway and there isn't a better way to enjoy watching your favorite former Wildcats play than by playing daily fantasy with our friends at prize fix. Prize fix is the simplest form of real money, daily fantasy sports, and just pits you against the numbers, whether you're a fantasy sports nut or a casual basketball fan looking to add some excitement to the games. Prize picks is the perfect game for you. You simply select two to five players and predict if they will go over or under their projection. Prize picks gives you the chance to win 10 times your money for getting four or five predictions correct. Download the Prize Picks app or visit prizepicks.com using promo code PILGRIM. That's P I L G R I M to get an instant 100% bonus up to $100 on your first deposit. Don't forget that's the Prize Picks app or prizepicks.com using promo code PILGRIM to claim your bonus today and take your viewing of your favorite former Kentucky stars to the next level. Sean, let's get the heck out of here. Where can fans find your work? You can find my work at GoBigBlueCountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry. You can find me on Twitter as well at JackPilgrimKSR. Reach out to me via email at JPilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for the Jam Packed Sources Say podcast. We will see you then. Yeah.